0: that, let's get into Psalm 37. Uh, So Psalm 37, um, before we read it, um, one thing just to make you aware of, it's organized a little bit differently than many of the Psalms. Uh, For one, it's an acrostic, uh, so every two verses or so begin with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet in alphabetical order. But also, and more significantly, instead of moving in a straight line, Uh, subject after subject, David in the psalm does more of like a circle. So um, if you think about it, uh, in, in some psalms, David writes as if he's walking you through a museum, and he says, here's one exhibit, let's move on, here's another exhibit, let's move on, here's another exhibit. Well, this is more like David has brought us to a sculpture, and he looks at the front of it, and he describes something about it, and then he looks from the side, and he describes something about it, and then he looks to the back, and describes something about it, and then he comes back over to the front, and he kind of comes at it from a different angle, and tells us a little bit something else about that, and then goes to the side again, and he goes around and around, and, and makes the same points in different ways over and over throughout the psalm. And uh, so you'll see that as we read Psalm 37 together. And uh, we are going to read this. Now, Psalm 37 is a bit of a a longer psalm. Normally, we make the practice of standing when we read the passage, but uh, we don't want standing to be a distraction from uh, the reading. We want to have our focus uh, all on the reading. And so uh, please remain seated as I read. But uh, if you would, read with me Psalm 37, starting in verse 1. The Holy Spirit says of David, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in Him, and He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in His way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy. "'to slay those whose way is upright. "'Their sword shall enter their own heart, "'and their bows shall be broken. "'Better is the little that the righteous has "'than the abundance of many wicked. "'For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, "'but the Lord upholds the righteous. "'For the Lord knows the days of the blameless, "'and their heritage will remain forever. "'They are not put to shame in evil times. "'In the days of famine they have abundance, "'but the wicked will perish.' The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish. Like smoke, they vanish away. The wicked borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. I have been young. And now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good. So shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever. But the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. The Lord will not abandon him to his power or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. Wait for the Lord and keep his way and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. I have seen a wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree. But he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. Mark the blameless, and behold the upright. For there is a future for the man of peace. But transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. I've titled this sermon, Faithfulness When the Wicked Flourish. Faithfulness When the Wicked Flourish. David wrote this psalm and he gave it to the people of God to sing when they find themselves in a situation that is quite familiar to the people of God in our day and really it's something that the people of God in every generation have encountered. This is a song for people who are trying to live for God, uh, who have been called by Him and redeemed by Him, that we're trusting in Him, we're, we're doing our best to honor God, yet we look around and we see other people not living for god we see them putting themselves first they're not trying to honor god at all and yet they are thriving they are more successful than we are they're winning influence and they're trampling over good people in order to do it do you ever look around the world find yourself discouraged to see the ungodly winning Winning for themselves, winning over others, winning the culture and influence in the culture. Well, David gives us this song to sing to remind us to stay faithful even when the wicked flourish. He acknowledges, yes, the, the wicked do flourish. They will flourish for a time. But he calls us to stay faithful to God even still. And he does so. He he calls us to this faithfulness by undergirding that call to faithfulness with rock-solid truths of who God is, what he has done, what he will do, and what he is doing now. He reminds us that God will ultimately judge the wicked. He also reminds us how God will bless the righteous in eternity, and also how God blesses the righteous even now in the present. So this is the message of Psalm 37. We can stay faithful to God even when the wicked flourish. David's thought process in Psalm 37 even though he really kind of goes around in a in a circle and sort of makes the same points in different ways in different times his thought process can be summarized in four truths the wicked will flourish for a time but God will judge the wicked and God blesses the righteous so stay faithful let me say that again the wicked will flourish for a time but God will judge the wicked and God blesses the righteous, so stay faithful. We're going to consider each of those four truths as we continue. First of all, the wicked will flourish for a time. The wicked will flourish for a time. David begins this psalm in verse 1 saying, fret not yourself because of evildoers. His first words are fret not because he's writing this song for the righteous people of God who are surrounded by the wicked. They have reason for concern. The wicked prosper. Good things happen to bad people. Have you seen this? Good things happen to bad people. Uh, Verse 7 describes an evil man who prospers in his way. Verse 16 describes the abundance of that many wicked have. Verse 35 says, I have seen a wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree. David sees the wicked thriving. We've all seen this. People make a fortune through shady practices. People acquire power and influence by mistreating others. They do bad things, and they seem to be rewarded for it. In fact, it seems like the system rewards those who do bad and trample over the good. Because not only do the wicked prosper, the wicked plot, according to David, the wicked plot against the righteous. Look at verse 12. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. Then look at verse 14. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose way is upright. And then look down at verse 32. The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. As if it wasn't enough that the wicked were prospering, the wicked are also not peacefully coexisting with the righteous. They want to bring the righteous down now we see this in our day too don't we many who disagree with biblical christianity don't just want to peacefully coexist they don't just want to agree to disagree it's not just that they find the teachings of scripture you know basically reasonable ideas that they just don't happen to believe in no many find the teachings of scripture to be reprehensible they judge those who believe and live by the bible to be immoral and they want us to be punished for living faithfully according to what God calls us to. Again, the righteous have reason for concern. The wicked do flourish. So, why then can David say, fret not? Why can he say, fret not yourself because of evildoers? Because of the second truth. God will judge the wicked. The wicked will flourish for a time, but God will judge the wicked. One of the repeated refrains you probably heard as we read Psalm 37 is that the wicked will soon perish. Verse 2 tells us that we don't have to fret because of evildoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. And then look ver- uh, down at verse 10. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. And then look at verse 20. But the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. Even when David describes the wicked spreading like a green tree, as we read a moment ago, look at what he says in verses 35 and 36. I have seen a wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree, but he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. So the wicked may prosper for now, but not forever. The wicked may thrive now, but not for long. And their plots against the righteous will ultimately backfire. Look at verses 12 through 15. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. So the wicked may prosper, the wicked may plot, but ultimately the wicked will perish. And why will they perish? because God will judge them. Look at verse 22. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. And then look down at verse 38. But transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. God will cut off The wicked. Their riches that they enjoy today are fading fast. Their prosperity that they enjoy today is only temporary. They will be cut off from receiving the blessings of eternity. So on the one hand, as we see the wicked flourish, we shouldn't be envious of the wicked. When we see the wicked prospering in this life, that is not the end of the story. Don't be deceived. Don't think that when we see evil rewarded, well, that must be the pathway to happiness. Don't be deceived. Don't be envious. On the other hand, we don't have to be discouraged by the wicked because we know that God will make everything right. But also, just before we move on, you need to pause and ask yourself, Do I fall under this category that David describes as the wicked? Now, of course, no one in this room would ever self-identify as wicked, right? At least not in any sort of non-ironic sense or something, you know? No, we don't identify as wicked. Not perfect. I'm not wicked. Well, You need to hear what the Bible says about every single person apart from Christ. Every single person from birth is described this way in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. Dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. None of us may on our own self identify this way, but what's important is not how we identify, but how a holy God identifies us. If you've never trusted in Christ to save you from your sins, then the Bible says you are spiritually dead in your sins. And again, he says that this is all of us. This is me, this is you, this is every person in this room before Christ. We are all dead, spiritually dead. Uh, We might identify as good people who make mistakes, but I heard... Josh Howerton, a pastor up in the Metroplex, put it this way, you are not a mistaker in need of a life coach, you are a sinner in need of a Savior. When David talks about the righteous in Psalm 37, you also need to understand that he's not talking about people who were born neutral and are basically good. He doesn't look out at humanity and and cut a line in half and everyone who's below that line is the wicked because they're subpar people and everyone above that line is the righteous because they're above par people, which I know golf, it should be backwards anyway. Um, The point being, David is not describing the wicked as the worst of humanity and the righteous as the best of humanity. No, all are wicked. All are wicked apart from divine intervention. All are wicked apart from Christ's salvation. The righteous are not people who were born neutral and are basically good on their own merit. He is talking about people who were born dead in sin but have been saved by the death and resurrection of Jesus. Who, like Daniel professed his faith in baptism this morning, who have trusted in Christ alone to save them from their sins and give them new life in Christ. Uh, God himself took on human flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. Even though we should have received God's judgment, the, the wicked deserve God's judgment. Even though that's what we should have received, Jesus Christ died in our place. He died as our substitute to receive the judgment that we deserved and that he did not deserve. And after he died in our place, he rose from the grave, he came back to life, and because he died for us, we can be forgiven of our wickedness. And because he rose, we can have eternal life instead of the eternal judgment that we deserve. So, we just need to pause and recognize the truth of what God is saying here in Psalm 37. God will judge the wicked. Right now, it might look like prosperity. You might think, you know what, I tried that Jesus thing, it didn't really work out that way, I've stopped with Jesus, and it seems like life has kind of gotten better, I'm not bogged down by all that religion, Uh, I'm actually feeling more successful, Uh, I'm living my better life because I've not been apart from Jesus. Just know, that's probably true, and it won't last. It won't last. If we are not trusting in Christ, what we are destined for is the judgment of God but you can be saved from the judgment of God. You can be saved from God's judgment because Christ died for you. So today, turn away from your sin. Turn away from living for yourself. Turn away from trusting in yourself to make yourself right with God and turn to Jesus in faith. Trust in him alone and what he has done to save you from your sins. And you can be forgiven and you can have eternal life in Christ for all of eternity. Well, the wicked will flourish for a time, but God will judge the wicked and third, God blesses the righteous, and again, remember, righteous aren't people who are good on their own. The Righteous are people who were wicked, who have been saved by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But God blesses the righteous. He blesses his people, his saints, called by his name, loved according to his covenant. As the people of God watch the ungodly prosper around us, not only can we take comfort in the justice of God, that will judge the wicked, even those who oppress us. We can also take comfort in the ways that God blesses the righteous. God will reward those who delight in him. Look at verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, we need to read this verse First and foremost, as true and the word of God. But we do need to read this verse carefully. Don't read this verse and try to make God your genie. Okay, that's not what this verse is about. And, and, and let me explain that in, in a few different ways. First of all, uh, we need to recognize that to delight in the Lord is to desire him more than any other desire. So the Lord is not offering himself to you as a means to your end. No, delighting in the Lord is making him the end, not a means to an end. To delight in the Lord is to have him as the greatest treasure of your heart. Uh, Second, when we delight in God above all else, our desires will conform to his desires. When God is our greatest treasure, everything else we treasure starts to change. Third, we need to read this verse in context. God didn't just give us Psalm 37, 4. He gave us Psalm 37. And uh, when David says, Yahweh will give you the desires of your heart, he doesn't just leave us to guess what he might have had in mind in terms of these desires of your heart. No, in the rest of the Psalm, he explains what these desires are. Uh, He he, he, he puts them in, in, in black and white letters. Uh, So what are these these desires of the heart that God promises to those who delight in Him? Well, first, we look forward to future blessing. We look forward to future blessing. We look forward to the future blessing of justice. Look at verses 5 and 6. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. So for now... We may need to endure being misunderstood as those who are following Christ. For now, we might even be called immoral for being faithful to the teachings of Scripture. But we commit our way to the Lord. We trust in Him. We follow His way, even if it is unpopular or uncomfortable, and we trust Him to act. Have you you heard that phrase in our verse that we've been memorizing together? Trust in him and he will act. We commit our way to him and trust in him for him to act. So as we seek to be faithful to Christ, even when we're surrounded by flourishing wickedness, our hope is not that we can prove we're right in this life. Okay? Save your breath. Our hope is not that we can justify ourselves and show everybody, hey, look, I'm following Christ and it's better, right? Maybe, sometimes that'll work, but that's not our hope. Our hope is to commit our way to the Lord and trust in Him and He will act. Our hope is not that we can, if we just get enough Christians in the right places, we can control society enough to where God's way is normalized. So we're not in the minority anymore. That's not our hope maybe sometimes in some places throughout history that'll happen occasionally. That's not our hope. Our hope is not that we commit our way to the Lord and then trust in ourselves and we will act for our own justification and vindication. Now our hope is that God will act. Our hope is that God will vindicate us, not in this life, but on the day of judgment and in eternity. Our hope is that on the day of judgment, the Lord will make it clear to every heart and every eye that his way was the right way all along, and we were right to commit our way to him and trust in him for him to act. So we look forward to the future blessing of justice. We also look forward to the future blessing of inheritance. Uh, We see this throughout the psalm. Look at a few of these verses. Verse 9 For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Look at verse 11. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Now look down at verse 29. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. And then look down at verse 33 and verse 34. The Lord will not abandon him to his power or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. Wait for the Lord and keep his way and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. Now, as I read verse 11, the meek shall inherit the land, that might sound familiar to you. And that's because Jesus quotes that verse in the Sermon on the Mount. Only he puts his divine spin on it. And uh, he says in Matthew five five, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And in that, Jesus gives us uh, a little bit of uh, a taste of the ultimate fulfillment of what is going on in the promise of Psalm thirty seven eleven. Uh, now, Old Testament saints, as they were waiting for the fullness of God's revelation in Christ, uh, they anticipated receiving the inheritance of the promised land, the land of Canaan, but in Christ. As we have seen the fullness of God's revelation unfold, the saints now understand that we anticipate receiving the entire earth as our inheritance. In fact, we anticipate receiving a new heavens and a new earth as our inheritance. This is what Christ has purchased for us. The ungodly in this world may have an abundance now, but it will not last we do not have to be discouraged because we look forward to a future blessing, a future inheritance that Peter describes in 1 Peter 1, 4 and 5 as an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And in light of what Peter is said there, and in light of what uh, David writes in Psalm 37, we also look forward to future eternal life. We look forward to, to future justice, we look forward to future inheritance, and we look forward to future eternal life. Look at verse 18. The Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their heritage will remain forever. And look at verses 27 to 29. Turn away from evil and do good, so shall you dwell forever forever. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever. But the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. And then one last place, verse 37. Mark the blameless and behold the upright. For there is a future for the man of peace. The injustices, the suffering we experience in this life are minuscule compared to the eternity of blessing awaiting those who have life in Christ. Paul writes in Romans 8, 18, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So as we endure, as we experience suffering, as we watch the wicked thrive and flourish, we cling to the hope of future suffering blessing we cling to the truth that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life but not only do we look forward to future blessing we also experience God's blessing in the present even as we wait as we endure we experience God's blessing in the present God preserves the righteous. Look at verse 17. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. Look at verses 23 and 24. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. And then look down at verse 28 again. The Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever. But the children of the wicked shall be cut off. God has promised the present blessing of his preserving and upholding hand. That doesn't mean that God's people will always have it easy. It doesn't mean that God's people will be perfect. But if we are in Christ, here's what it does mean. If we fall, it will not be final. If we fall in this life, it will not be final. Because God upholds and preserves the lives of His saints. We will be preserved forever. Uh, God also, in the present provides for the righteous. Look at verse 19. They are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine, they have abundance. And then look at verses 25 and 26. I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 6 Uh, In fact, would you turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 6? Keep uh, your place in Psalm 37. Turn to Matthew 6 and verse 31. Matthew 6, starting in verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. Catch that phrase. The Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Verse 33, catch this. But seek... First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Now, that doesn't mean that we'll never suffer or be uncomfortable. It doesn't mean that we'll have everything that we would like. What it does mean is we can trust God to supply us what we need to live for Him, to live for His glory. We can trust God in the present with the present blessing of provision. So in light of these truths, we have this reality in the present that the wicked will flourish for a time. But we have the future certain hope that God will judge the wicked, And we have this reality that God blesses the righteous in the future and in the present. So, how do we respond to these first three truths? With this fourth, and that is stay faithful. Stay faithful. This is the call of Psalm 37. In light of these truths that David has talked about, is to stay faithful. So what does it look like to stay faithful, according to David? Well, I see seven aspects of the portrait of faithfulness that David paints in Psalm 37. Number one, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. This is the very first lyric of Psalm 37. Uh, Look at verse 1 again, Psalm 37. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. And look down at verse 7. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in His way, over the man who carries out evil devices. When you look around and you see the wicked winning, don't worry. Don't wring your hands. Don't fear what you might lose. Remind yourself of these truths that David has told us in Psalm 37. Remind yourself of God's justice. Remind yourself of God's blessing. And remind yourself of eternity and how this all shakes out in the end. Don't be anxious. Second, the flip side of that, trust in God's salvation. Number one, don't be anxious. Number two, trust in God's salvation. Look at verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. And then look down at verse 34. Wait for the Lord and keep His way, and He will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. And look down at how He ends the psalm in verses 39 and 40. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. As Christians, we are waiting for salvation. Now, you might say, well, wait a second. I thought being a Christian meant I'm already saved. And that's true. If we trust in Christ, we have been saved from the penalty of sin. And we are being saved from the power of sin, but also we will be saved from the very presence of sin. Even as we are already saved and being saved, we still in the present live with the presence of sin around us and within us in our sinful nature. We still live in a world that is broken by sin. We still live in a world where the wicked flourish. But we stay faithful to Christ in this world, trusting that God will save us, trusting that God will deliver us. We trust that in the end, He will bring us out of this world, through this world, and into our home with Him. And our hope for that future salvation secures us in the present. So don't be anxious. Trust in God's salvation. Third, refrain from evil. Look at verse 8. David says, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. So when we see sinners flourish, we will be tempted to sin. We may be tempted to respond with anger, You know, he did everything the evil way, and he got promoted. Yet I tried to do everything right, and I got laid off. What gives? We may be tempted also to seek our own flourishing by doing that same evil that we see in others who get ahead that way. Well, it it seems like the only way I can really keep my job, the only way I can really succeed is by bending the rules. Well, in the very next verse, in verse 9, David again reminds us of the perspective of eternity. Look at verse 9. Well, back to verse 8. Refrain from from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Don't become evil short-sighted. Don't become impatient. Stay faithful to God even when the wicked flourish. Refrain from evil. And the flip side of this, of course, number four, do good. David says in verse 27, turn away from evil and do good. So shall you dwell forever. Just keep doing good. Just stay Faithful to obey God, follow Christ, even when it's ridiculed, even when no one sees, even when it seems like it doesn't pay, just keep doing good. Befriend faithfulness, David says. Jesus says in Matthew 6 3 and 4 When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Stay faithful. Turn away from evil. Do good. So shall you dwell forever. Number five, be content. Be content. David says this in verse 16. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. It can be discouraging to try and follow Christ only then to struggle to make ends meet. But a person who lives under a thatched roof with dirt floors but knows the blessing of Christ likeness, has greater true wealth than the wicked who has a mansion on every continent. In 1 Timothy 6, Paul describes people who imagine that godliness is a means of gain. He says in 1 Timothy 6 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Don't try to be godly because you think it'll make you successful. Don't apply biblical principles to your business to make money. Godliness is not a means of gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. True wealth in this life is found in godliness with contentment. Number six, very closely related, be generous. Be generous. David says this in verse 21 as he paints this picture of the faithful. The wicked borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives the wicked are stingy because wealth in this life is the only treasure they will ever know. And if you find yourself with a real tight grip on your earthly possessions, it might just be that you have a wrong definition of what true wealth is. Jesus said in Luke six thirty five, love your enemies, do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Followers of Christ are generous and give because we know a greater wealth than the treasures of the world. Not only do we anticipate our inheritance in the new heavens and new earth, as we've already talked about, but we also enjoy the reward of being sons and daughters who resemble our generous heavenly Father, which is a reward unto itself. So be generous. Finally, as we look at this portrait of faithfulness. Number seven, keep God's word in your heart. Keep God's word in your heart. I get this from verses 30 and 31. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. The law of God, excuse me, the law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. We must keep God's word in our heart if we are going to live like Psalm 37 calls us to. If we are to stay faithful as God's people, it will not be by our instincts. If we are to stay faithful as God's people, it will not be because of common sense. It will not be because we're trying to do what is praised in our community. If we are to stay faithful as God's people, we must have hearts filled with wisdom from above. We must have hearts filled with the truth of God's character. We must have hearts filled with the promises of God, like those that we've looked at in Psalm 37. We must have hearts filled with the truth of eternity. Only then will our steps stay faithful in following Christ. We can stay faithful even when the wicked flourish. Because the wicked will flourish for a time, but God will judge the wicked. And God blesses the righteous. So stay faithful. Stay faithful. Live today in light of eternity. To keep our eyes on eternity, today we get to come to the table and celebrate the Lord's Supper. Already today, we've gotten to observe one of the ordinances that Jesus gave us in baptism, which is a symbol of entering fellowship with the church. The Lord's Supper is the second ordinance that God has given us, and it symbolizes ongoing fellowship with the church and with Christ himself. If baptism is like the front door into the house, the Lord's Supper is the family table That brothers and sisters in Christ gather around to commune with one another and to commune with Christ. Now, first and foremost, the Lord's Supper is a reminder of Christ's first coming. Jesus commanded his disciples to observe the Lord's Supper, to remember how he died to receive the judgment of God that the wicked deserve for their sins and to forgive his people. Uh, But we also eat and drink the Lord's Supper to anticipate the future and Christ's second coming. In Matthew 26, 29, Jesus told his disciples, At the last supper, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, Paul says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we eat and drink to remember how Jesus took on the judgment of God against wickedness to purchase our inheritance. But we also eat and drink to anticipate the day that Jesus will return and bring us into eternal life and the inheritance He has purchased for us. This sacred time at the Lord's table is for believers who have rested all their hope on the death and resurrection of Christ. So if you're not yet believer, we would ask that you refrain from partaking until you have come to faith in Christ. When you do trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we will joyfully invite you to partake along with the body of Christ. Uh, We also encourage those of you who are believers to examine uh, your hearts so that you can partake in a worthy manner. Um, th- this is not a table uh, for people who are sinless on their own. Let me be clear. This is a table that reminds us that we have sinned against God and we need the blood of Jesus to save us from sin. Uh, but uh, even if we're in Christ, if we're harboring unrepentant sin, sin that we are living in and refusing to let go of, uh, we ought to refrain uh, until we can freely partake, uh, because doing so comes and proclaims a, a false gospel that we can cling to sin and follow Jesus. And so um, we would ask you to examine your heart and, uh, and refrain if, if you're not able to partake in a worthy manner. But if you are a member of the body of Christ, Jesus invites you to come to his table. And our practice as a church is we don't uh, limit this to only the members of this local body, but we recognize that this is a meal for the global body of Christ. So if you are a baptized member of a gospel-preaching church in good standing, we would invite you to come and partake of the elements at the Lord's table. So in a moment, I'm going to pray. We'll have a song. And during that time, as you're ready, you can come and receive the elements up here at the front. And then, if you would, take them back to your seat and hold on to them um, until uh, we've all been served. And then uh, I'll come back and we'll, we'll examine the words of Christ. And then we'll all uh, partake in this sacred meal together. Uh, let me pray for us. Father, we, we bow our heads now. And even as we bow our heads, we remember how Jesus bowed his head on the cross and gave up his spirit. Lord, we bow in reverence and in respect and in awe and in adoration for who Jesus is, what he has said, and what he has done. And Lord, we ask that you, as as we worship you in this moment around this table, Lord, would you fill us with your Holy Spirit in a fresh way, that our worship in this moment would bring you honor and bring genuine comfort to our souls. Lord, I pray that we would be reminded of Christ's work that has forgiven our sins and that has secured our future. And Lord, even as we live today as the righteous, surrounded by the flourishing wicked, uh, Lord, we recognize at this table, this table reminds us that Such were some of you, that we were numbered among the wicked until you saved us and brought us from death into life. And Lord, as we endure, Lord, we're reminded by this table that you will come again, that Christ will come again, that we will feast at his table and delight in him forever. Lord, I pray that my brothers and sisters, as we partake in this meal, Lord, that this would not just be a repeated ritual, but Lord, that we would feast on the presence of Christ who promised, I will be with you always to the end of the age. Lord, as we take these elements that in and of themselves were nothing until Christ chose to make these symbols, Lord, I pray that we would, in our hearts, be reassured of Christ's finished work to save us from our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, I pray that we would be reminded of what Christ did to bear the judgment we deserved and secure our eternal inheritance. Uh, Lord, uh, would would the taste that we experience in our mouths, Lord, be nothing compared to, to the taste we experience in our spirits as we delight in our greatest treasure, Jesus Christ. We love you and praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.